I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... Mark Benioff had his whole M&A strategy leak, not because he clicked on a bad link, but because he sent an email with an attachment to Colin Powell, whose password was password. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. It's What's Working in Washington. I'm your host, Mark Walsh, with producer Tracy Madigan. Today, we welcome in John Ackerley. John and his brother, Will, a couple of local boys that made good, 10 years ago started a company called Vertru. Vertru is, amongst many other things, a company that can protect your email from the giant mistakes we all make. That's one of many, many things they do for protecting data that is yours and yours alone. They have a product and service called Zero Trust. And these days, the amount of data that's available in the cloud to not just people like you and me, but to companies and governments, it's a big deal. So protecting that is what Virtue does, and we're going to hear about the growth of the organization and where the future is headed in data protection. Here's our conversation. Welcome to the show. Very happy to be here today. Yeah. We were talking off mic, as they say, about Williams College. Uh, I went to school near Williams, and... What I'm psyched about is to hear that you bought a place there. So now you're seeing Williams during the summer, which as a student, all you saw was snow the entire time. So congratulations <laughs> yes. on that. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, it is a, it is a very funny to be spending time back up there because most of my family would ask the question, so, John, is that a four-year institution? I'm like, yep, in fact, it is. It's a pretty decent liberal arts school up there in Massachusetts. And, and just very happy, though, to to be back in Washington, D.C. as my home base, yes, uh, which is where I was born and raised and which is where we founded Virtue. It's great that a homeboy, as they say, stayed here and founded a company and is participating in the, the growth of this marketplace. I say the growth of this marketplace because, you know, a lot of our shows, we, 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 we talk with folks who run companies who are significantly locked into the federal marketplace as, yep. their, as their customer base. Your company has a broader customer base and a broader set of of services and relationships yep. than just the federal mm-hmm. government, correct? Uh, yes. So then we have 8,000 customers. Hello. About 95% are pure commercial. So my brother and I are from here, and we both worked in government. I mean, that is really the roots of the technology. So Where were you in government? My brother worked at the NSA. Yeah. And then I was at the White House between 2001 and 2004, having been in the Bush campaign in Austin, Texas, starting back in 99. But the reason really for for you know, picking D.C. as the place to grow virtue is when you think about what makes D.C. special, like really it's at the heart of policy, how to have a global impact. And there is, you know, thanks to a lot of technology coming out of government, a very interesting technology ecosystem. And, you know, virtue is very similar, right, through our technology and by deploying software that actually works for people, yeah. really shaping how individuals and companies have, can have agency over their data. You can't rely on, on, a, on a legal regimes to actually make that happen. And so when you think about how to, how to have an impact, there's not a better place on this planet than in Washington, D.C. to really build a mission-focused company like Virtue. You're singing my tune, brother. I worked for the Small Business Administration for the last couple of years of the Obama administration as a political appointee, and uh, you obviously had a more or in some ways, the most amazing experience, because you said you were in the White House on September 11th yes. of 2001. But I would argue 
the United States federal government is the world's worst marketer because the number of things that have come out of public-private partnerships where our tax dollars are used and other types absolutely. of innovation. It's absolutely stunning to me how much the federal government has done for everything we do every single day, and they don't get enough credit. Yeah, uh, so then very well said, and in particular where we play in the cybersecurity landscape, and if you look at what is coming out of the Biden administration and the Department of Defense, you know, they are actually ahead of the curve from where even the most sophisticated enterprises are when it comes to implementing next-generation architectures to actually protect data so that it can be more easily shared to solve critical mission problems. And yeah. that's not always the case in government. I mean, as someone who worked at the Commerce Department, too, and I love all my colleagues who work there, yeah. there's always work to be done to make the government more efficient. But, but when it comes to technology leadership, and particularly in cybersecurity, um, it is just remarkable what is happening right now. Well, uh, we're going to get to virtue, I promise, because you're our guest, and it's and it's a show to, to, ex to examine where, where you and the company are going. But uh, you were there when Secretary Don Evans was in charge of commerce, and it's just interesting for me to think about, uh, and my time at the SBA, we had uh, uh, Secretary Pritzker, where the where the dollars have come. Now, as you know, Secretary Raimondo in commerce yes. has about probably eight times the budget that Don Evans had, maybe 18 times the budget that Don Evans had yeah. with the uh, with the uh, the commitment of the federal government to CHIPS Act and stuff that she's managing. That's right. It's just interesting to me to see the ups and downs of a given secretary's purview, That's those right. of political appointees, but also the careers. And I'm, I'm sure, you know, your, your experience, I hope that goes mine. The careers were usually the mission-driven people. They actually did the work. And I hope that, uh, I hope Raimondo, Secretary Raimondo is successful in managing that, that huge budget. Yeah, for sure. And I think um, one of the, you know, testaments to our system, and I think there is obviously challenges right now in terms of our broader political system, but Compared to our competition and, and, and our frenemies overseas, the fact that there is the ability for people who have had fantastic careers in the private sector yep. to come into government and back up, bring that expertise and vice versa, that is a feature, not a bug. Yeah. And I think we are definitely seeing the benefits now yeah. of that. Um, I would also just argue that foundationally, the most important thing the government can do is to really create an environment where entrepreneurship can flourish as a baseline. Yeah. And then, you know, strategic industrial policy can make sense. Um, but that is probably a topic for then another day. But I do think that what we're seeing in terms of, you know, in, you know investment and in basic research being on the rise, investment in sort of, you know, thinking through, okay, how do we make progress on, you know, buzzwords, but important concepts like zero trust security, how do you get real enforcement against these kind of commitments out of OMB? There's actually a lot of positive things happening right now. Wow, you tossed out some great stuff to unpack. We are talking probably with John. way too many. No, acronyms. no, no, it's all it's all good. We're talking with John Ackerley. That's the voice of John Ackerley. He is the co-founder and CEO of Virtru, technology platform company, right here in the DMV. So let's go there. You said zero trust. We hear a lot of acronyms. Uh, so this is thankfully not an acronym. It actually is actually is a word. Yes. Um, Let's start there. What does zero trust mean and how does virtue provide it or guarantee it or maybe fight it? Yeah. Um, so you definitely don't want to fight this title away. Okay. Because it's actually noted. A, 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 uh, <laughs> it's yeah. a dramatic new architecture approach where you move from a kind of legacy mindset that's been around since the founding of the Internet, which you were a part of back in the uh, late 80s, not yeah. the kind of timestamp you are. That, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, I was 11, uh, just so you know. <laughs> exactly. We definitely looked that way. Thank you. Uh, for, uh, 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 for sure. But um, it is moving from a much more castle wall approach. So it's you know, when you had more 
on-premise software where you would have server rooms yep. um, as opposed to having data in basically rented server farms in the, quote, cloud, yep. um, it was a lot easier to invest in firewall protection, really to kind of lock down the data by building a broad-based perimeter around it. Really, the whole point about zero trust is that world's gone. Yep. How do you actually control the assets that matter to an enterprise, to a person, to your customers? How do you actually build trust through never explicitly or implicitly trusting any individual or company to have access inside those castle walls? So how do you sort out data? How do you sort out identity? How do you sort out endpoint protection? Um, Virtue sits very squarely in the data pillar. And within data, really all of the stuff that actually matters so much to you and me, our emails, our files that we share, um, what happens when we use a SaaS application like a Salesforce or a Zendesk? In the DOD case, where we are spending a lot more time today, 10 years into the virtue story, what happens to data coming off of sensors? What happens to video coming off of, of a cameras? You want to extend that control because your sensitive assets are everywhere, not just within a server room, by actually applying control and policy to the data itself. And so we started virtue with a very simple idea. Let's solve the email problem. Bingo. Let's actually give people that big red revoke button so that yeah. you can have an email where you hit reply all and not have it be a, a double problem where you have a kind of read receipt and a fake pullback, but actually cryptographic revocability of emails that you may have shared by mistake. But that's always been a substantiation of the broader vision. So you and I, so first of all, God love you for making that revoke button. I, 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 I hope I hope you, you run the world with that. But- uh, obviously, I I think we mentioned I spent a lot of time in the political world. Yep. I was the first chief technology officer of the Democratic Party way back in 2004, and famously, John Podesta, who I think highly of, you know, supposedly clicked on an email which opened up all sorts of stuff back back in the day. I think in yep. the 08 uh, uh, election. That's to me the classic example of an email. It was actually moment. 2015. Thank you. And you know. if you okay. come to our new offices, there is a poster of uh, John Podesta as a warning sign of. Hey, and in part because we banged on his door six times, and I love him and his family, and yeah. his daughter's awesome. But, but my God, you know, there is a way to take action to prevent that problem. And by the way, the, that challenge with you know, with that email hack is it's not just about your own email. It's everyone that shares information with you. Right. Mark Benioff had his whole M&A strategy leaked, not because he clicked on a bad link, but because he sent an email with an attachment to Colin Powell, whose password was password. Evan Spiegel, <laughs> the CEO of, of the NS Snap, um, you know, had his whole fundraising strategy leaked because he shared it with Michael Linton, who at the time was the president of Sony. Yes. So our value oh, Sony ma- Of course. And that whole hack and the whole North Korea thing. Bingo. Right? And so time and again, you know, it really our challenge an opportunity has always been to get people to understand that there is a better way and yeah. there's zero friction. One click to install, you can have that control. And then how do you expand for a large enterprise like, for example, Verizon, which has then globally deployed us? How do you give that control at scale? They, to wait, wait, all they, they have or have not? Globally? Have. Oh, okay. Have. Yeah. So we so, both have very large enterprise customers and we are very proud of our Dr. Smiles dentist who also wants to make sure that their stuff is protected. Our very first customer was a child psychologist on the Upper East Side of the New York who basically wanted to make sure that um, a parent was able to send sex, sensitive email to, to him, right? Wow. So it's a broad-based horizontal capability that can scale up to large enterprises or 
you know, frankly, gives peace of mind that I can share a very sensitive piece of data with, um, you know, uh, with a doctor. That's John Ackerley. He's our guest today on What's Working in Washington. I'm Mark Walsh, your host with Tracy Madigan, producer John, and his brother Will co-founded Virtue. What year? 08, you said? 2012. 2012, sorry. Um, and we were talking about, obviously, email. And I got to tell you, I, I, I get it. I mean, I think that was brilliant to start with what everybody has either experienced or read about. And I didn't know about your Podesta, Podesta yeah. poster in, in the lobby. God, God love him, because he is the poster child, literally, in yes. your case, the poster child for what's going on. But zero trust, it sounds so dramatic and so binary, are there levels of zero trust, or am I am I just sort of missing the point here? There are both levels, and for your listeners that are steeped in zero trust, there's there is the basic tier, there is the there is the intermediate, there is the intermediate tier, there's the advanced tier. But you know, one way to think about it for those who are not so steeped in it, are are there fast and easy ways to get started on a zero trust journey? Because it's an architecture. You know, there is no one solution that can actually solve the problem out of the gate. There is a control plane of different technologies that have to be woven together. But if you solve your identity challenge, i.e. understanding who should be having access to what, and then you apply control to the data itself, that's your fast zero trust easy button to get moving on that journey. And that's what we see, you know, it, it is why we have 8,000 customers because we can get started there. So it's a, from a business perspective, it really is a land and expand motion. So you can get started with email, file sharing. Oh, I have Zendesk where I have Salesforce. Let's get started there. And then, you know, it's a broader conversation with a CISO or a CIO about, hey, let's actually sort out all of your unstructured data. So from tiny acorns to mighty oaks grow, that Upper East Side <laughs> uh, child psychologist has turned yeah. into 8,000 customers. It's John Ackerley, founder, co-founder and CEO of Virtue, right here in Washington, D.C. on What's Working in Washington. We'll be back with more conversation after this. Here on What's Working in Washington, we still love hearing from our listeners. You have put us in touch with some of the best voices in the Washington, D.C. region. We've been hearing from you through Twitter, or X as it is now called, LinkedIn, and other direct messaging. On What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. We love meeting smart people. If you know someone we should be talking to in our show, let us know. It's all about shining a spotlight on people who are really getting things done in this region. So please, keep those ideas coming. And thanks to all of those who stay in touch with us. What's Working in Washington, the show where we meet people that are interesting, like our guest today, John Ackerley. John is the co-founder and CEO of Virtue, technology company and data management and all sorts of things, company based here in the DMV. A, a challenge, I mean, we've, we've covered a lot of areas, but I think a challenge is of globalization, right? So what we do here domestically with your clients of, of the 8,000 that are based in the U.S., but then what it means to be in business dealing with China or the GDPR, the European or I guess German originated uh, theory of privacy that that the Europe uh, pr presents to companies um, that operate internationally. What are some ways and challenges you're seeing your clients as they interact with the data challenge and the privacy challenge outside of the U.S.? Yes. So then a fantastic it's kind of question. A big question. I know, but what the hell? We're going to yeah. Start you know what? I was, I was just kind of uh, parsing through that and a, a couple of things. One is the kind of negative piece 
but the opportunity. And the other one is actually a very positive story, at least for our coalition partners in the West. So, you know, I, I think what the Europeans are learning, um, and we're all learning on this journey, right? Because technology and data privacy moves fast. But a purely legal approach like the GDPR can be very counterproductive if you don't really understand what it means to control data and actually solve the problem over giving European Southern citizens real real agency over their data. Really, all that the GDPR has done, it's, it, it has forced people to click I accept on websites all the time. It's yeah. really been about cookies, not about actually controlling data. And it's led to the balkanization of the internet where people think that they solve the control problem by making large cloud providers set up new data centers everywhere. That doesn't actually solve the control problem. So let me, let me drill down on that because that's fascinating. I had not heard that kind of analysis. Obviously, you're running a company, you care about this stuff. But the whole phrase that seemed to capture the imagination of a lot of people when GDPR first came out was the right to be forgotten, if you recall that phrase. Yes. And it sounds like you're saying that's actually not what it is provided. It has not provided that, nor has it provided what really matters, which is actually giving people control so that they can decide to be heard and to share with entities and people who they want to, knowing that they always have that revoke button beyond email flows, but at scale at a system level. And you know what is positive is what we're seeing between NATO and the UK and our Five Eye partners, which are our intelligence partners, where... We are, you know, pushing, and really virtue is at the heart of this, on an open approach, not a proprietary approach. This is not about virtue, but an open way that you can have interoperable, interoperable data standards. And this is going to get a little wonky, but basically the same way to describe data across systems. How do you match up those at different mechanisms so that you can, as opposed to setting up, in the, and in the case of a central forces command in the past, 19 separate networks to actually give a semblance of control depending about whether the Turks are involved or or whether you have a, any new country, it's a new network. That can take months to actually set up, super expensive. And it gives no one real control. Actually describing data in a common way based on open source um, is actually making a difference when it comes to prosecuting the war in Ukraine and getting through technology, NATO and UK STRATCOM and the Australians and the U.S. Air Force aligned on that together with our partners is just magical to see. And so there are exercises going on now um, in the field where all of a sudden, again, governments are leading the way that you actually can give people that control so they can get the job done quickly, you know, really taking what would take weeks and months down to minutes in, in order to share data more effectively. Easy. I'm going to salute the flag here. That's fat. I mean, that, that's a, that's a fabulous story, but let me, let me return to a term you started with in that part of the conversation, which is open source versus closed. Yep. Um, I have always seen, you know, sort of open platforms. Then people say, yeah, I, we're, we're an open company, but we're in charge of the standards, right? It's all about standards, right? So if you control right. the standards, you can be open, but you're actually kind of not are it there, is so tricky. Uh, it, it's right? tricky. Well, well, that's where that I'm going. is that Go is ahead. not being straightforward. Yeah, like it has got to be at the foundation, open. Otherwise, you know, frankly, that is a differentiator for us because it brings trust with you know very large government agencies and enterprises that there's no vendor lock-in. Yes, but the pie is so big, you don't have to own the whole pie. You just create bigger opportunities. So, Vertru, J.P. Morgan. 
Google, Trellix, a bunch of us are part of a NIST working group. Yeah. yeah, really about that kind of commercial harmonization wow. of the standards that we're already doing in the mission partner environment. So vendor lock-in, another term that I think our listeners, if they don't know it, they should. We've all seen versions of this, and I think this hopefully will be a term that dies a tragic death someday because there's been so much money generated, so much income generated, so much shareholder value generated by vendor lock-in where a company or a government are almost forced to stay with a company that they chose a while ago, but that company is not being flexible enough. It sounds like you're on the other side of that argument. We are. Yeah. And as a disruptor, as a growth company, um, it it is the winning strategy. Um, There's a P company that might be in big data analytics that might not be so open. There are a few companies out there that really sort of have a stranglehold over data, and they're not open to other companies integrating in a very effective way because there's so much value in kind of having control over that information. And, you know, you you can see it with, you know, some of the big hyperscalers as well. uh, What does hyperscaler mean? That's a good one. So, you know, think big cloud providers like Microsoft, Google, Amazon. Okay. In in the case of, you know, one that might be uh, up in Washington, you know, state, there are challenges that customers have because they feel like they have no choice, that they have to get upgraded or they have to spend a lot of money on technology just because they don't know what else to do. Yeah. And so our evangelism, and it's not casting aspersions on large businesses working to make money, but you want to give people choice. Yeah. Um, to really have best in class. And you want to build an ecosystem of like-minded companies, large and small, to be aligned on on that approach. That is refreshing. But to our prior discussion, some of the eye-popping valuations of companies in this arena often sort of imply vendor lock-in, I would argue. Yep. Um, you know, the, the, was yeah, it, but there Palantir are also companies like, you know, well, yes, exactly. Yeah, 40, but, but there's also Databricks. Okay. Which are is, they open? You know, they are open, okay. based on open source. You have HashiCorp open. You have a lot of very interesting businesses that are taking the, really, the other side. Okay, great. So, so the multiple so the approaches can work. I think at the end of the day, open wins. Yeah. Well, let's go to your company specifically. You have a lot of venture backing. At least your website implies uh, yep. both NEA and a bunch of other major forms, including Soros. You know, George Soros, wow, he he's Satan to a, a specific part <laughs> of, of the right wing. So it's interesting you have Soros money. Well, he um, got hacked. People who got hacked ah, okay. understand the problem. I I get it. But what, what roll the clock ahead a little bit here. Uh, and we'll never hold you to it, of course. But what, what's... What's a company like yours going to probably do as far as financing and growth? Do you see yourself as a public entity? Do you see yourself losing a lot of control that way? What's what, what's the plan? Just My true answer here is we are growing a great business brick by brick. And Got we're it. doing it efficiently yeah. where we are not burning a lot of cash so that we're always really masters of our own destiny in terms of which way we go. We think that there is a really important role for a publicly traded independent a company that can help to arbitrate access to unstructured data across systems. Yeah. So Will and I, you know, we've had an amazing 10 years, but there's so much more to do in the next 10 years. Yeah. And so I think that is the, the a natural path. And to really, you know, take the, you know, the way that you scale a business is by providing a service that makes people's lives materially better with a business model that can scale. Yeah. The reciprocity from that is revenue. And we are using that revenue to reinvest in our innovation engine. We are heads down. In our next chapter, we talked about email, and we have always had an, an open 
an extensible platform, I'd say, frankly, it was a little bit hard to use. Uh, we are tripling down on making it really easy for developers to take this kind of data security yeah. components, embed them into all kinds of systems that our own engineers will will then never touch because yeah. there are so many places that you know, well, data many, many is argue, created and consumed. Many, sorry, many yeah, argue no, no, no. that the best UX UI wins, not necessarily the best technology. So I, I it's and by the way, UX UI is people, yep, process and technology. And, yeah. and if you talk to our customers, we are really proud of our people because they care. Yeah. Through COVID, what did we do? We embraced these customers and tripled down there. And that's what we always do. And people forget about UI UX from a design perspective. People love really creating great new widgets, but they forget about what matters, which exactly. is the end users. So producer Tracy Madigan will slap me if I don't remind everybody that UX UI stands for user experience and user interface, the things you see and do when you click on and move around data and stuff like that. So let's, let's finish a couple of lightning round questions. Yes. Mike Linton, Sony, right? Why have there not been 30 of those or 300 of those? There have been. Okay. Maybe I'm not aware I mean, of them all. Well, I mean, just go into uh, Microsoft's uh, partner, uh, ChatGPT, and just Google breaches and okay. email leaks, et cetera. I mean, it happens every day. And wow. so when I look in the mirror, I'm like, okay, why? what more can Virtue do as yeah. part of an ecosystem to really solve this? I mean, what you like just this summer, Tony Blinken. All of his emails I didn't know were that. hacked. And it wasn't just his. It was also Nicholas Burns, CIA director. And the argument from the State Department was, well, this is unclassified. Well, there is really sensitive information you can glean from CUI information. It's not just Tony Blinken's stuff. It's everyone who, who like, shared email with him, right? So that just happened. That was a master security issue that, that Microsoft had in terms of a master key. And so, look, it's still happening. The problem is bigger than ever. The good news is that... Government is leading. There is, there's a new architectural approach. There are technology companies actually making a difference here. All right. We ask every guest, John, if you ran the world, what's one thing you would start happening that isn't, or one thing you would stop happening that is, or both? I, I would say a couple of things. One is it would be great if people could start giving other people more credit and not thinking about how to make themselves bigger or their company's bigger. It's about creating ecosystem and about enabling others. One of my mentors, Josh Bolton, uh, who was my boss in the Bush campaign in Austin, yep. Texas, no one ever talks about Josh. But but like without Josh, we would have been in a world of hurt after 2008. Agreed. He's been quiet, and, and, and he's an influencer doing the right thing behind the scenes. I think if more people are like that, if more companies are about creating bigger pies versus trying to lock in, uh, we would be in a much better place. The other thing is... Breaking through and making sure that the world understands that we can create a world where all data is under your control everywhere to unlock more value of data to solve more problems. It is possible. It's a mindset shift, and I want that to start as well. Fantastic aspirational, two aspirational answers, one about sharing data and one about a wonderful world where people will realize they are in control of their data. That Those, those are goals that I share. John Ackerley, co-founder and CEO of Virtru, joining us here on What's Working in Washington. Thanks for being with us. Great. Thank you very much. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy, performed by The Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. 